Good morning. So our hearts are so full with wanting to offer you all as much as we can get in without it being uh, overwhelmed and too much. And what that causes or what that points to is that we're all doing these little Dharmet type things during instruction time give you a context for the practice and the instructions that we're using for the day or introducing for the day. So I'm going to just say a few words about the hindrances which you've kind of been sprinkled in over some of the talks and uh, some of the groups and some of the uh, meetings that we've been having. But just wanted to go a little bit more into um, depth because it's such an important vehicle for uh, engaging the practice and uh, establishing uh, mindfulness, gatheredness, concentration, and presence. So a few words about the hindrances. So from the Dhammapada, mind is the forerunner of all things. If one speaks or acts with an impure mind, suffering follows, like the wheel that follows the foot of the ox. Mind is the forerunner of all things. If one speaks or acts with a pure mind, happiness follows, like the shadow that never leaves. So at this point, we're all really aware that distractions come in all sizes, shapes, forms, flavors, But the particular group of distractions that uh, addressing right now are the hindrances. And basically they're called hindrances because they block the development of all aspects of the practice, actually. Block meditation happening in relationship to mindfulness and concentration. Therefore, blocking or being an impediment to the realization of uh, wisdom. And because in our culture this word hindrance can have a negative connotation, and it is true that we want to eradicate or weed the mind of hindrance, it also means that we are not to repress, avoid, or condemn, or turn away from them, because that actually perpetuates the proliferation of hindrances. So hindrance as defined in the uh, dictionary, something immaterial that interferes with or delays progress, a difficulty, a factor causing trouble in achieving a positive result, impediment or deterrent, a barrier, an obstruction that impedes or is burdensome. So at this point, four days in, or almost five, might you have come upon some hindrances, you know? And for some of us, they may have been visiting uh, on the 24-7 tip. And for some of us, it just may be a sporadic kind of showing up. But however it's shown up, um, we've all been working with that, including the hindrance of clinging around positive or joyful or happy states. 
right? Not that we shouldn't have them, but watching out for that clinging that often happens when we find our place in that state. And these forces, they run the gamut from weak to powerful. Sometimes they're really subtle. Our attention is pulled in so many directions other than where we wish it to land and interferes with our effort to meditate. These distractions can actually come to offer the fodder through which we strengthen and deepen our practice. Even when we have the best of intentions to stay focused and present, these forces can propel us into states of preoccupation, story. The good news is these forces and challenges offer an opportunity for the deepening of practice and skill development as meditators and are not bad distractions and are not personal failings. It's actually part of the path of practice to be mindful of them. These forces can serve us by forming the basis for cultivating awareness and wisdom. In the Majjhima Nikaya, which is the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, a quote, a direct training in concentration is on the abandonment of the five hindrances. The five hindrances, sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, remorse and doubt, are the primary obstacles to meditative development and their removal is therefore essential for the mind to be brought to a state of calm and unification. Joseph Goldstein from One Dharma says that consciousness is the knowing factor of the mind. Knowing does not refer to knowledge we acquire about something, like learning to drive a car or taking a course in chemistry, but rather to the immediate, direct cognizing of the object itself. Knowing a sight, a sound, a thought. We may hear sound, then think bird. The first moments of consciousness would be the knowing of the sound, followed by moments of knowing the thought. Moments of consciousness are often clouded by the mental factor of delusion, which is characterized by fixation, contraction, attachment, or resistance. In other words, not seeing things as they are. We call this delusion of mind ignorance. Sometimes consciousness is free of attachment and clinging, free of delusion. This mind is called wisdom mind or awareness. Most of us are familiar with experiences of the mind being clouded by ignorance. It is when we are caught up in wanting, attachment, fear, aversion, when we are lost in thoughts of past and future. It is as if our experience of sensations, thoughts, and emotions arise with Velcro loops. And delusion is the Velcro hook. When delusion is present, we stick. 
the Buddha used many terms to describe these states of delusion. Hindrances, defilements, floods, taints, bonds, fetters. It is important to notice the contraction of mind when these deluded states are present. Because each of these moments is really a moment of suffering. All of these hindrances, desire, anger, sloth and torpor, restlessness, doubt, are mental factors. They're not the self. They are not some personal failure of our ability or capacity to fully inhabit the practice. They are impersonal factors functioning in their own way. In talking of the hindrances, one of the similes given illustrates effect of the different obstructions in the mind. Imagine a pond of clear water. Sense desires is like the water becoming colored with pretty dyes. We become entranced with the beauty and the intricacy of the color, and so do not look to the depths. Anger, ill will, aversion is like boiling water. Water that is boiling is very turbulent. You cannot see through to the bottom. This kind of turbulence in the mind, the violent reaction of hatred and aversion, is a great obstacle to understanding. Sloth and torpor is like the pond of water covered with algae, very dense. One is totally unable to see or penetrate to the bottom because you can't see through the algae. It is a very heavy mind. Restlessness and worry are like a pond when wind swept. The surface of the water is agitated by strong winds. When influenced by restlessness and worry, insight becomes impossible because the mind is not centered or calm. Doubt is like the water when muddied. Wisdom is obscured by murkiness and cloudiness. The Buddha said, when these five hindrances are unabandoned in themselves, a bhikkhu sees them respectively as a debt, a disease, a prison house, enslavement, and a road across a desert. But when these five hindrances have been abandoned in themselves, they see that as freedom from debt, healthiness, release from prison, freedom from slavery, and a land of safety. Those metaphors are not simply philosophical concepts, they actually reflect the feeling of the mind that is contracted in ignorance or released in wisdom. From Rumi, liberation through non-clinging. Live in the nowhere you come from, even though you have an address here. Although there can be numerous hindrances, these five traditionally identified as particularly important for those of us taking this particular journey 
of Buddhist practice of mindfulness and meditation. It's not something to avoid. It's actually uh, a welcoming. I can't rem- remember the title of the book. Maybe Vance or uh, Kamala can. T- but Utejaniya um, has a book called. I don't remember what the title is, but it's yeah. don't, look don't look down on the defilements. And there's a person sitting cross-legged, um, just like arms wide open, welcoming the hindrances as an opportunity to find a way on this path to freedom. So like, you know, I'm big on visuals, right? Like, so keep that visual, like an openness, a spaciousness in relationship to the arising of the hindrances, not a contraction um, and a tightness around them showing up. Without dedication to working with the hindrances practice, one can be derailed from practice. From the Anaguttara Nikaya, there are five impurities of gold impaired by which it is not pliant and wieldy, lacks radiance, is brittle, and cannot be wrought well. What are these five impurities? Iron, copper, tin, lead, and silver. But if the gold has been freed from these five impurities, then it will be pliant and wieldy, radiant and firm, and can be wrought well. Whatever ornaments one wishes to make from it, be it earrings, a necklace, or a golden chain, it will serve that purpose. Similarly, there are five impurities of the mind impaired by which the mind is not pliant and wieldy, lacks radiant lucidity and firmness, and cannot concentrate well upon the eradication of the taints. What are these five impurities? They are sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and skeptical doubt. But... If the mind is freed of these five impurities, it will be pliant and wieldy, will have radiant lucidity and firmness, and will concentrate well upon the eradication of the taints. Whatever state realizable by the higher mental faculties one may direct the mind to, one will in each case acquire the capacity of realization if the other conditions are fulfilled. So the five hindrances, sensual desire, the mind wanting something pleasurable, grasping after sense objects. This hindrance keeps the mind looking outward, searching after this object or that in an agitated and unbalanced way. Sensual desire can be for food, comfort, physical and sexual experiences, sounds, smells, sights, and other sense pleasures. It is the very nature of sense desires that they can never be satisfied. There is no end to the seeking. Living without wants, wishes, motivations, or aspirations is impossible. However, there is the distinction between skillful and unskillful means, ill will or aversion. The mind is filled with dislike, the condemning mind, 
anger, fury, resentment, judgment, hatred, annoyance, irritation, vexation, loathing, spite, resistance, avoidance, criticalness, boredom, complaining, grudge, and fearfulness. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of that. That must be a pretty common one. Wisdom is acquired through familiarity, and one of the tasks in mindfulness practice is to become familiar with those states as they appear in the mind. With ill will, this requires a willingness to shift attention away from whatever we are hostile towards. You're not going to colonize this armrest for those of you who were at the Meta yesterday. And instead, turn it towards the experience of ill will itself. All right? So shifting it, the attention away from the object or the stimulus for the arising of the aversion and pay attention instead at the experience of ill will itself. It can be useful to be mindful of it in a non-judgmental and non-reactive way. It can be helpful to hold the ill will in our focus without acting on it or pushing it away. Being mindful of how ill will feels physically. Always making that connection with the body. Examining the beliefs that underlie the ill will. Then there's Sloth and torpor. The mind is sleepy or too apathetic to clearly see. Sluggish, laziness of mind, a mind that is heavy or dull. Sloth and torpor can actually arise from the absence of desire and aversion, the lack of stimulation that accompanies constant desire and aversion can be deflating and even depressing to the nervous system. Sloth and torpor are forces in the mind and body that drain vitality and limit energy. Sloth manifests as a physical absence of vitality. The body may feel heavy, lethargic, weak. When this hindrance is strong, there is not even enough mindfulness to know we have fallen into it. Sloth and torpor refers to the low energy states related to an attitude we are holding. Discouragement, frustration, boredom, indifference, giving up, hopelessness, and resistance are some of these mind states that cause sloth and torpor. Although sloth and torpor may be present, it does not mean energy is not available, but just that we're not accessing it. Our evaluations and reactions lead to lethargy, restlessness, and worry. The mind is too anxious to stay steady. Regret, agitation, jumping from one object to another without any mindfulness. It is a state of over-excitement. Dissatisfaction, frustrated desire, and pent-up aversion are common causes of agitation. Being mindful of the cause is helpful and not the agitation. 
when pain is the cause of restlessness, when pain is the cause, not suffering, when pain is the cause of restlessness, the pain should be addressed. And that's on the physical, emotional, or psychological plane. When thinking is a big part of restlessness, it can be useful to relax the thinking muscle. It can be useful to cultivate contentment, breathe through the restlessness for calming, releasing tension or constriction by breathing can be relaxing or with the breath can be relaxing. The more attention given to breathing, the less attention is available to fuel restlessness and worry. It's also, you know, on the real deal, it's also really important to get enough sleep, to exercise, drink water, have good nutrition. Lack of these things can cause restlessness. And that's just like the daily living stuff, you know. So sometimes it can be that simple. Pay attention to what we're doing with these bodies. Doubt or skeptical doubt. A lack of faith that you can stay mindful of what is true and to act skillfully. Doubt freezes the mind and undercuts our ability to cope with all the other hindrances. What am I doing here? Why did I come? I can't do it. It's too hard. I just want to be outside walking around. Doubt distances us from the present moment. So bringing mindfulness can be helpful in shifting doubt. This hindrance of doubt is not specifically connected to any of the others. However, doubt is often entwined with any combination of the other hindrances and can and does cast its influence in many ways on our whole being. When the hindrances are strong, we lose our ability to see clearly. These hindrances cloud our mind and prevent us from knowing the cause of our suffering. When the mind is not obscured by hindrances, attachment doesn't arise, and our mind is willing and able to be with what is. We are not caught in wanting anything, wanting to become anything, or wanting to get rid of anything. Mindfulness is the most effective way of dealing with the hindrances. So just remembering that the hindrances are all impermanent mental factors or thoughts, states that arise in the mind, through and from conditioning. They arise and pass away like clouds in the sky. However, when caught in the web of not seeing, we believe they are fixed and permanent. If we are mindful of them when they arise and do not react or identify with them, they pass through the mind without creating any disturbance. With practice, mindfulness eventually becomes stronger than the power of the hindrances. 
Choosing to be mindful of a hindrance is a significant move towards being free of it. One of the most significant turning points in practice with the hindrances is when we choose freedom over being hindered. Just before moving into uh, the next form of practice for this morning, a quote from Ajahn Chah. In ending, I wish that you continue your journeys and practice with much wisdom. Use the wisdom that you have already developed to persevere in practice. This can become the ground for your growth, for the deepening of yet greater understanding and love. Understand that you can deepen your practice in many ways. Don't be lazy. If you find yourself lazy, then work to strengthen those qualities which overcome it. Don't be fearful or timid. If you are timid in practice, then work with your mind so that you can overcome that. With the proper effort and with time, understanding will unfold by itself. But in all cases, use your own natural wisdom. This that we have spoken of today is what I feel is helpful to you. And if you really do it, you can come to the end of all doubt. You come to where you have no more questions, to that place of silence, to the place in which there is oneness with the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, with the universe. And only you can do that. So do it already. From now on, it's up to you. So as we move further into sitting practice, if anyone needs to stand up or shift or stretch a leg or take a moment for that. And gathering again and returning to or settling into your position for the next part of time that we're together this morning. And just noticing the shifts and change of energy. And as we move through the next period of sitting, uh, this may be helpful as a way to work with the hindrances. This acronym of Bella that Gil Fronsdale created or gleaned 
from the suttas. Bella, which translates into English as beautiful. Bella, beautiful. Saying this acronym describes the mind that is revealed when the hindrances are overcome and mindfulness becomes strong. Bella, B. When a hindrance appears, it is useful to first let it be, not acting on it or reacting to it. Bella, E. Examine. This is said to be the most important aspect of the practice with the hindrances. Exploring and examining the hindrances involves recognizing the components, the physical, energetic, cognitive, and motivational aspects. Bella, L, lessen, lessen its strength. Relaxing both the body and mind are good ways to lessen the intensity of strong bouts with hindrance. Bella, L, let go. Once we have understood a hindrance, it's appropriate to let go of it. Bella, A, appreciate. When a hindrance is no longer present, it is useful to cultivate and take time and know the experience of its absence. So employing, we've been offered a lot in relationship to practice over these days. Following whichever is prominent and most appropriate for this moment of practice for you. Arriving, connecting, creating. 109 of us coming together from many places. Original homeland of the Nipmuc. Spiritual home. Ancestors. Devas. Deep welcome. Rare gift. Simplicity. Seclusion. Silence. Family. Adventure, courage and fortitude, nervous system, relaxed, water, air, fire and earth, ceremony, settling in, body, breath, sound. Resource spot. Remembering and returning. Sound arises. Thoughts arise. Emotions arise. 
hindrance arrive, all background arising and passing away. In the forefront, moment-to-moment awareness of the sensations of body and breath. Not pushing away anything, not grasping at anything. Just clear, precise observation of how it is now, in this moment of experience. Not lost in story. What's predominant? A noting, a returning to the objects that guide you home. Ups and downs. Mindfulness is more like an art. Know what's happening when it's happening. What is it to be mindful? Indriya, the strengths of the mind, faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Natural capacities of the heart-mind, the citta. Recognize, strengthen, an inner flame in the heart the wisdom and strength to show up in your own life. Confidence, tending the flame, warrior spirit, perseverance and reconditioning, contact with the present moment, gateway into the garden of the Dhamma, Attune to the spaces, the space between heartbeats, the mystery of the moment, a course correction, what's happening now. Mindfulness is not preferential, not judging. The art of the practice when to zoom in, when to zoom out. In betweening the fifth posture. Coming present in the body. Gentle, compassionate attention. Inclining the mind towards what is beneficial. Sensations arising and passing. Do the best you can. Let it be good enough. Begin again. Not what happens, but how it happens. Vedana, or feeling tone. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, neither unpleasant nor pleasant. It's natural. Struck by one arrow, second arrow comes. The chain of reactivity. Bring care and kindness to experience. 
Learn not to pick it up. Be choiceful. Allowing earth to support you. Contact with the vertical dimension. Uprightness. Nobility. Stability. Do no harm. Practice the way to the end of suffering. Deep intuitive understanding. The true nature of things. Compassion arises and gives us the capacity to open to the challenges. Know it for yourself, your own wisdom, facing the tender parts. Take care to take care. The great wings of the Dhamma, compassion and wisdom. Everything changing from moment to moment. The vulnerability of life. The quivering heart. Energy to stick with it. Self-knowledge is not always good news. Relative and absolute. Moment by moment, bit by bit, have the faith to open your own heart.
So shifting back to the relative and bringing mindful listening along with you. Only a few announcements this morning. So today uh, we begin individual meetings. And so all eight of us will be meeting with half of you today and then tomorrow the other half of you. So there will be no sign-ups today. Um, The rooms are posted on the board. The people who are meeting with Amana, um, she's going to be meeting with you in an office that's in the staff area. And so if you're meeting with Amana, what you should do is to go upstairs and the hallway that's right at the top of the stairs where there are seats. You can sit in those seats and when it's your time, Amana will actually come out of the door that has staff on it um, to let you know to come in. Today is also the last day for movement. So just noticing how it feels as you hear this word, last day, and this, you know, form is shifting a little bit. So just being present with that. So um, for those of you who might have been intending to get there and didn't, good opportunity to follow through on that. Uh, Room 200, which is the room we go in upstairs that you can go in to meditate, is not available this morning. Um, I think it's Vance will be in there. No, so then it's Yang. Yang will be in there having interviews. So that's room 200 upstairs, not available until after lunch. And the other thing about the meetings is that uh, everyone has a meeting time of 15 minutes. So if you see a larger time slot, one to piece, and you're like, oh, goody, I have extra time. That's actually a break for us. (laughs) Um, So you can uh, show up at the door at whatever time it's appointed um, that your meeting is. Yeah, and then the two last things are kind of, uh, one is a boundary thing and one is a a practice thing. And the boundary thing is part of practice. Um, So the boundary thing is just to really, really, really be mindful, especially as we have these meetings and there's these different time things going on, to come into the the, uh, hall on time, and uh, like Kamala said yesterday, unless some kind of emergency arises, that you're staying until the end. You know, I don't know if you, um, you can be aware, but it was very still this morning when we were sitting. And just the disturbance of energy of coming and going. It's not that you're doing anything wrong, but just the disturbance of the energy in the field kind of brings us back up, shoots us back up out of wherever it might be that we are in terms of our investigations. So be mindful of that. And then lastly, I just wanted to uh, give another plug or reminder or a a clarification in terms of walking meditation. So um, walking meditation really, and especially as we start to move closer to um, re-engaging in the world um, outside, the relative world, walking meditation is really a great opportunity to cultivate the capacity to stay present in transitions, right? Because one of the things, the form is going to change and practice at home will look different 
and you'll be hearing about that over the next day and a half. But, you know, Buddha, it is said, gave the four positions for meditating, walking, sitting, laying, and standing, of which some of you have had the opportunity to practice all four. And then um, Greg Scharf, our colleague, has added in his interpretation of this fifth in-betweening, right? In between leaving the med hall and going for your meeting, in between going into the lunchroom. So, very pragmatically and didactically, there are these four, and we're saying five, positions for meditation. And another way that I interpret it is that Buddha was subtly, subtly telling us, you could be meditating all the time. <laughs> right? Because the body is going to be in one of those movements. The body is going to be standing, walking, laying, or sitting. And so that's a way to start to begin to um, infuse and expand this notion that if you're not sitting on the cushion, you're not practicing. There's opportunity to practice from the moment you wake up and open your eyes to the moment you go to sleep and close them. So just wanted to really support the um, usefulness and opportunity that really giving walking meditation your full attention can be really helpful. So enjoy the sunshine. Have a pleasant day. No matter what comes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.